All right, enough of that. Let's study the Bible. We're going to finish numbers tonight, and there's going to be a quiz (laughs) over chapter 26. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 26 and start cramming, uh, you'll... Some of you will probably do okay, Um, others of you, not so much. Uh, Are you looking at chapter 26 yet? Yeah. Okay, and so what what you're cramming for is the order of the tribes and the number, the number that they tallied, like, uh, Verse 7, these are the clans of Reuben. Their registered troops numbered 43,730. So you're just going to write all 12 of those in order. Okay, Reuben, you'll start. No, no, this is not open book. That's why you're cramming while I'm praying. But, but God won't help you if you're cramming while I'm praying. So just telling you what's coming. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Uh, I pray that uh, he would take what is yours, your word, and just burn it into our minds and into our hearts and into our spirits uh, that we might know you better, that we might worship you more appropriately, that we might live our lives in a way that continues to please you. So thank you. We love you. Would you be here with us? Lead us and guide us into your word tonight. And we ask for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me get my timer. I'll give you maybe three minutes. It should be enough time if you know it. I don't see anybody working. All right, we'll just have to go on without you then. One, have you ever seen those things, uh, if you go to, well, I just read them in funny little like comic book things, it has um, funny tombstones, have you ever seen those? Like they're funny, they're, I don't remember any exactly, but if you Google funny tombstones, it's like so-and-so, and there's some kind of a rhyme, you know, and anyway, it's got silly things on the, t- it would have been better if I would have had an exact example. Um, yeah, I told, I told you I was sick. That's a funny, that's, a, that's kind of a funny one. This, the ones that I was laughing at the most were the old days, like 1850s Wild West, you know, a lot of gunfight stuff. and um, It's like somebody died with a 44, he, he's no here, no more, you know, it's just these silly little rhymes they make out of a... Anyway... One thing I don't want on my tombstone is he got bored with his faith. He got bored with his faith. Have you ever been bored with your faith? Don't raise your hand. Are you bored? Question. Some of the color and vibrancy from years past now has kind of turned to black and white. 
just doesn't seem quite as new, fresh, and exciting as it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. Moses, for 40 years, walks in the desert with God, with the rebellious people, and he never got bored with his faith. There's some lessons we need to learn from Moses tonight as we wrap up the book of Numbers on how to not get bored with your faith. Great lessons, great reminders. You won't see anything in here that's new, but it'll be a great reminder to you, I hope, so that you won't get bored with your faith ever. Numbers is the book of obedience. Hopefully you've gotten, uh, you've seen why that's true now that we're almost through it. Remember this is God's will for the, for the Jewish person. In Genesis and Exodus, he gave them some promise, promises of inheritance. And in Joshua, we're going to see those promises fulfilled. Numbers, they had to be tested in going from here over to here, and they didn't really do so well. They always wanted to go back to Egypt, where they had some kind of perceived security. Uh, They had not yet believed God that Canaan would be where they would experience his best, and so God, in taking them through the wilderness, um, exposed their unbelief and their disobedience. And as a consequence... The first generation uh, moves off the scene, even though they started really, really well. They were prepared for victory. They were prepared to live on mission. They understood what they were to do. And then they went to Kadesh Barnea. Ten said no. Two said go. The two couldn't convince the ten, and so the people rebelled against uh, Caleb and Joshua And they rebelled against God, and he said, gotcha, one year for every day the spies were in the land. So 40 years, and the whole entire first generation, except for Caleb and Joshua, are going to die in the wilderness. You are not going to receive my best, because you didn't believe me. And so the first generation winds up wandering in the desert, which is the great bulk of the book And we continue to see testing and failure and discipline. And on the other side, you continue to see uh, long-suffering and unfailing love and grace upon grace from God to His people in spite of their failure and discipline. So the second generation, starting in chapter 26, Numbers is the book of the numbers of fighting men. We started... Early on in Numbers with the first census, chapter 26 is the second census. Second census is with the second generation. They're on the plains of Moab. They're across from Jericho, uh, across the Jordan from Jericho. They're going to go in in just a, a, a few short weeks. They're going to go across the river into the promised land. But it's only the second generation. They're preparing to settle in Canaan. And so 
God, through Moses, exhorts them to victory and to live on mission again, just like he did 40 years before. So God is working through Moses to speak to the second generation before they go across. He'll give a big recap. Moses will give a big recap in Deuteronomy. Word to the wise. Don't leave your Deuteronomy reading until next Sunday. You won't make it. Deuteronomy's a long book. Lots of words in there. You should start reading now. Start reading Deuteronomy. But do read it. Uh, just like Numbers, if you've never read it before, this is your opportunity to, to read some books all the way through. But the second generation from 26 to 36 in the book of Numbers is being readied to get Deuteronomy, which is basically the second giving or the reiteration of the covenant. That's what Deuteronomy is. They're getting ready to receive that. And so Moses is giving them, God is giving them through Moses these last instructions. So he's going to take in, if you looked at the numbers, and I know some of you did because you're just a little bit nerdy like that, you looked at the numbers and you notice for the most part they are almost identical to the other numbers from 40 years ago. That's probably not chance. That's God. He said, I said I was going to take about this many and I'm going to take about this many. He's going to bring them. Leave it to him. Uh, he is amazing. So here's what Moses leaves behind. And this thought of what Moses is leaving behind seems to have kept him from getting bored. You and I can learn lessons from that. How do we not get bored? We need to be thinking about what we also are leaving behind us. So here's what Moses is leaving behind him. Men and women who could be counted on to pursue God's purpose in their generation. Men and women who are aware of and eager to possess their inheritance. He left Joshua, a leader who'd follow his footsteps. He left men and women behind him who'd approach each day as a new day for worship and fellowship. And he left men and women behind him who'd make wise choices. So my question to myself this past week, my question to you tonight, who's following you? Who's following you? Who's your second generation? Who's coming up behind you? You are investing in them as Moses invested in all of these people. Who are you investing in? You might hear us call it be and make and reach. Moses is doing the same thing just several thousand years ago. Who's following you? Who's following Moses? Five things. Five things that Moses did as he's about to pass off the scene toward the second generation, that he wanted to make sure there were people who were prepared who were following him. Five things. Let's take a look at them. First, he prepared the soldiers. 
All the new fighting age men are counted. Again, there's no neutrality in this mission. There's no negotiating God's will. You either obey it or you ignore it. Those are your only two choices if you are in this, these different numbers by the tribes. God's mission and expectations are to take Canaan. That was his expectation with the first generation who came out of Egypt. It is his expectation with the second generation that you are to take Canaan. There's territory to gain and an enemy to fight. They learned that back at Kadesh Barnea. He says to them, take your place and serve and be counted on for battle. The first generation could not be counted on. He's exhorting the second generation to be ready to battle. So he's preparing the soldiers. As you look behind you, are there younger soldiers following you who can be counted on to advance God's purpose in their generation? As you look behind you, is there a second generation of soldier who can be counted on to advance God's program, God's will in their generation? I'm not held, remember uh, in Acts, it talks about David did everything he was supposed to do in his generation. The only generation I can think about is mine. I have to train up other people who are ready for the generation who will follow me and who will follow you. And those things will be on their plate. Those things are not on my plate exactly. We just got to take care of our own generation's stuff. So, as you look behind you, are there younger soldiers following you? Um, Remember we talked about mission statements one time? Didn't we talk about that? Remember Franklin Covey, the whole Covey thing? Like in, back in the 80s, and you're supposed to write out your mission statement. And some of you probably did that. But some of you probably have it in a desk drawer somewhere because you forgot where you put it, and it's still there. And it's, there's a real easy one for you, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Anybody know 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Anybody have that one memorized? If not, that's your new mission statement. It says, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If I'm following the example of Christ, then who am I inviting to follow me? Because we're both walking toward Jesus together. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example, says Paul as I follow the example of Christ. Is there a second generation coming up behind you that you have had a hand in training? Second thing Moses did was he pointed to their inheritance. So each tribe would receive an inheritance based on its size, except for the Levites. Their inheritance was God. 
so they got no land. The Levite, oh, there it is. The Levite's inheritance was God. And 48 cities scattered throughout the promised land. Remember, six of those cities were cities of refuge. 42 cities, uh, larger territories had more cities, Levite cities in them. But six cities were cities of refuge where if you killed someone accidentally, we would call that manslaughter. If there was manslaughter, I could run to that town and be protected And as long as I never left that town uh, until the high priest died, then I was safe from, you know, from the relatives or whoever would come and want to kill me because that's how they did things. Interesting, in the book of Hebrews, our high priest never dies. In a sense, we have run to a Levite town, a city of refuge, and we are safe as long as the high priest lives. And our high priest always lives and never dies. Therefore, we are always safe. The enemy cannot touch us in the city. A family's inheritance, as, he, as Moses is pointing out, these people's inheritance, their inheritance wouldn't be jeopardized if they didn't have sons to receive it. So there's a couple of places where uh, I think there's five women, five daughters, there's no son, and they said, hey, now wait a minute, uh, if there's no sons, we don't get an inheritance. And then toward the end of the book, we circle back around with them and they get the inheritance. Um, this is virtually unheard of in this day, that women would receive these things. God has always been uh, very kind and gracious toward both sides, not just to one side. So the family's inheritance wouldn't be jeopardized if they didn't have sons to receive it. Why? Why, why are these women highlighted? Because they had faith and desire for his word. God, you've said, and we have faith in what you've said and in you, and so we want what you've said we can have. God says, I see that. You can have it. <laughs> this is great. This is a great principle. God rewards faith and desire for his word. Here's how the tribes got broken up, and all of this was done by casting Lot, and so here's Simeon and Judah kind of run together, Dan and Benjamin, here's, the, here's these other guys over here, the two and a half tribes, here's the other half, um, here's how they broke down up north. This, this, uh, this little guy right here, Dan... You'll even remember from the book of Genesis, Abram chased the people all the way up to Dan. See where it says Dan up there? Why does that say Dan up there? Because Dan is going to get bored and tired with where his tribe is, and they're going to head north, and they're going to pick their own tribal boundaries and allotment. Guess what doesn't work well for them? That. But that's what they're going to do. 
So here's kind of how this breaks out, the, the tribes. But this is about their inheritance. The people in chapter 26 are being exhorted to desire their inheritance. Here's your inheritance. It's land. And good things happen to you in the promised land. You've got to go there and live by faith and obedience, and good things will happen to you. And so Moses continues to exhort them and encourage them to, in faith, desire their inheritance. So question, as you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who are aware of and eager to possess their spiritual inheritance? Do you have a second generation behind you? Are they aware of their spiritual inheritance? We've talked about Ephesians 1.3, that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus right now. Do they know that? If you're walking with them, do they know that? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We talk about 8 and 9 a lot. Verse 10 is we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. There's an interesting, interesting little thing going on in Ephesians 2.10 because actually Paul says you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's actually to walk around in good works. like walk around in your promised land. Are the soldiers that you're training up behind you, are they aware of their inheritance? A third thing Moses did, he appointed new leadership. Unfortunately, Moses' sin, Moses' sin kept him from entering the promised land. And that was back in Numbers 20 when he struck the rock instead of just speaking to it. Moses undoubtedly shared leadership with Joshua to ensure a smooth transition. And Moses knew that the mission is always more important than the messenger. Uh, Maybe this group you're leading, maybe it's a home group. Do other people lead? As you look behind you, are there young and younger men and women following you who are able to lead in your absence? And do you sometimes not show up so that they have opportunity to lead? I won't be here next time. Would you lead? Yes. <laughs> Give them opportunities to lead. They'll do just as well as you did the first time you led. They don't have to lead the way you lead now. As long as they lead as well as you did, when you first led, they're going to be fine. Fourth thing Moses did, he promoted worship and fellowship. You wondered what all these, you know, why are we going over the sacrifices again? 
You know, didn't we read those in Leviticus? You know, did God just cut and paste? Because <laughs> what is this? Here we go again. <laughs> and how many lambs and how many quarts of flour? And whew, you got all these things again. What is going on? Moses, God is covering through Moses the daily and weekly offerings, the monthly offerings, and the offerings for the annual feasts. What are all these things about? A lifestyle of worship and fellowship with God. That's what, these, that's what all this is. Moses, God wants a lifestyle of worship and fellowship with himself, and so he's communicating through Moses. Remind them of all these things that I would ask they bring me. But it's not really about the sacrifices, though it is. The idea is to promote a lifestyle of worship and fellowship. Is worship and fellowship the most important thing in your life? And does your second generation know that? And how do you help them with that? Countless times I've had fellows come in and say, I have the opportunity to, you know, fill in the blank, go to North Carolina and make twice as much money as they're making now and how good that will be for their church that they'll go to and how good that will be for their family and, you know, on and on and on and on and on and why they should take this promotion. I have one question for them. I said, how will this impact your family's worship? What do you mean by that? The most important thing you do every day and every week is worship. And if it's not going to be good for your family's worship, then I'm going to discourage you from doing it. This is the most important central thing that we do. And it's not relegated to one hour on a Sunday. A lifestyle of worship and fellowship with God. There were daily sacrifices, morning and evening. Let's apply that to our day today. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. I don't have to go find a lamb or a cow or a, a goat or whatever. Right? Could I not touch base with him in the morning and in the evening? And in so doing... I'm just doing what they did in the Old Testament. See what I'm saying? And if we're not necessarily supposed to do more, but more compelled, if you will, in the Old Testament, if I'm in the New Testament and I got Jesus, what does that say? How should my life look? And if worship gets relegated to just Sunday, uh, even they didn't do that. They would have thought about worshiping and fellowshipping with God at least twice a day. And they would have had to take something tangible, physical, to remind them what they're doing. So Moses, what did he leave behind him? He was promoting a lifestyle of worship and fellowship. That's what all the sacrifices are there for again the sacrifices were costly, 
The priesthood was necessary to accomplish God's work in the world. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? The priesthood was necessary to accomplish God's work in the world. Fast forward to the New Testament. We are a nation of priests. If you're in Christ, you're a priest. Congratulations. The priesthood is still necessary for God to accomplish his work in the world today. He has no plan B. <laughs> we are it. All life, all of life revolved around worshiping God and pursuing fellowship with Him. For the Christian, the offerings typified and have been fully and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You and I no longer have to take animals and do things to them, or grain, or liquid offerings. We don't have to do any of that. We have Christ, who is better than the best of the offerings and sacrifices. Those have all been made and done for us. Therefore, worship and fellowship that door is open to us in a way it wasn't open to them. As you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who see each day as a new day to worship God and fellowship with Him? It's a great question. The fifth thing Moses did was he required wise commitments with respect to relationships principle. All relationships bring responsibilities. Therefore, open communication is critical. All relationships bring responsibilities. And so he said, make sure you are making and keeping wise commitments. Jesus had a little shorthand on this. Remember? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. That was it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But all relationships bring responsibilities. So he says, make wise commitments with respect to relationships. Make wise commitments with respect to authority. The head of the household has the final say. We talked about, or he, uh, God through Moses talked about um, the younger people and the father of the family and hearing about commitments and vows and things like that. So the head of the household has the final say said, make wise commitments with respect to commitments. Are you a man or woman of your word? Only make commitments you intend to keep. Great principle. Including pursuing purity. Now, purity can be taken multiple ways here. In this particular way, I mean it purity in the sense of idolatry. You're not supposed to have idols. They needed to make holy war against their enemies. 
I mean, they're, they're going off to start um, taking care of business here. They're to follow God's word completely. They're, allow no, they're to allow no compromise with sin makers. And they're to show those enemies no mercy. Remember I told you last week that you'd run across um, when I suggested to you that chapter 25, remember chapter 25 of last week? No, last time, last time. That uh, chapter 25, while the Israelites were camped at the Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves, et cetera, et cetera, with the Moabite women. And I said, this is Balaam coming in the back door. And I could see the look on some of your faces. You're from Missouri. And you said, show me. And I said, it's coming. Keep your eyes open. And you then read in chapter 31 this week uh, that they go in and have to kill all the Midianites And by the time you got to chapter 31, verse 8, all five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, died in the battle. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Where is Balaam? He's running around with these kings. He is behind what happened in chapter 25. And that's why John in the book of the Revelation points out that they've committed the same sin. But some of you, I saw it on your faces, so I want to make sure I pointed it out. Here it is right here, chapter 31, end of verse 8. Balaam is running around with these Midianite kings and all of their people and promoting their, um, (laughs) not only... Uh, he was promoting idolatry, but lack of purity um, into the camp. And so Balaam, bad guy, bad guy. So they needed to make holy war against their enemies. They remembered to thank God in a special way following the victory. Remember, they'd lost no one in the battle, and so the, the tribal leaders offered up the gold that they, received, that they um, confiscated, Um, And they offered that to God as a free will offering to say thank you. And so trusting God means fully obeying God. He says, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to go do it. And so they did it. They took care of business. It also includes, making a wise commitment, includes trusting God's path. Though circumstances change, he is faithful. Though hardships arise, he is faithful. Though leadership changes, he is faithful. Though we are many times unfaithful to him, he is still faithful to us. Remember, the walk of faith seldom goes around difficulties. Instead, it most often goes through them. And we saw that even played out in these chapters. As you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who've been taught about making all manner 
of wise commitments, taught to keep their word, taught to pursue holiness, taught to trust God's path, though it likely will lead through difficulties. Don't stop short. Are you claiming your inheritance in the promised land or stopping short? Some believers are like the first generation. They waste their lives wandering the desert as a result of unbelief, disobedience, and faithlessness. Some believers are like the ten spies. They look the land over, but they never enter it. Some believers are like the two and a half tribes who live on the border of the promised land. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. Why do you say that? Remember when Moses talks about the boundaries of the land and the boundary came from the Sea of Galilee and it ran down the Jordan into the Dead Sea? What was the boundary of the promised land? The stuff on the other side of the Jordan. You had two and a half tribes who got right up to the edge and were given permission to stay here, but they didn't come in where they should have been. Hmm. They made it all the way to the border, but they didn't come in. And some believers are like the rest. Claim it, enter it, battle for it, and enjoy its blessings. Tonight, possess your inheritance. We've talked before about God's gift of a general inheritance. Certainly, first and foremost, to become like Jesus. You and I have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You and I have received the fruit of the Spirit. You say, I don't have it. That's incorrect. You have it. You're just not writing a check on the vault. It's there waiting for you. But you've got to write a check of faith and ask God to do His good work in you to bring about the fruit that He's looking for in that situation. That's His general inheritance. You've each also been given a specific inheritance. Oh, what? (laughs) A specific inheritance. That's Ephesians 2.10. He created you in advance to do good works that only you can do, and He created these for you to do before the foundations of the world. Right? Did I misread Ephesians 2.10? Do you read it the same way? If you've read it a different way, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Listen to what I'm telling you. This is what you should read in Ephesians 2.10. You have a general inheritance that we all have and we all share, and it's amazing, marvelous, wonderful, but you also have in Ephesians 2.10. You have something specifically for you. What is it? I don't know. God doesn't share that with me. I'm pretty sure He'll share it with you, though. You are His masterpiece. 
I don't call myself a masterpiece. He calls me a masterpiece. You are my masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10. You are my masterpiece. Whew. I feel like a stick man. <laughs> you know, I'm not a masterpiece. I'm just a, a stick man on a napkin. But that's how God sees you and how he sees me. Why? I, I cannot tell you. That's what unfailing love on his part looks like and how he sees you. Do you know your shape? This is an acronym, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. Spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, experiences. A package deal. Do you know, so there is some discussion on spiritual gifts. Some would say we get a, there's a gift mix, like if you've ever done an instrument you know, before. Some people call it a test, but it's not really a test because it's not pass, you know, there's no pass fail or grades. It's an instrument. And you take it and it says, you know, you might have the gifts of, and it gives you two or three or four or something like that. First Peter 4.10 says, use the gift you were given, which makes it sound like one. So here's what I know. Everybody gets at least one spiritual gift. If you had to only have one gift, what would you say it is? You don't tell me. What do you think God has given you? And by the way, you didn't choose it. He gave it to you. He assigned it to you from the Holy Spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or 12. What color eyes do you have? I don't know. I can't see your eyes from here. I can just see them like this, closed. <laughs> so let's say you have hazel-colored eyes. Did you pick that from your mother's womb? Oh, it was assigned to you. By whom? God. So let me say it this way. What say did you have in your first birth? Uh, about that much. There was no vote. <laughs> he didn't ask you what you would prefer. He assigned things to you in your first birth. Here comes your second birth in Christ. The Holy Spirit assigns your gift. And if there's more than one gift, then he assigned those two. Okay, but he assigned at least one gift to you. And it says he did it out of his will, not yours. Well, Lord, I'd like to have this gift. I'm sorry, there's no vote, Bill. <laughs> I assigned it to you. I don't remember voting for it. I didn't ask you for your vote. I didn't even ask you for your input. Here it is. Yay! What is your one spiritual gift? I don't know. There's plenty of instruments online that you can take that might begin to help you with that. We have one on our website that you can use. It's interesting to start conversations because no self-reporting instrument is accurate because you don't see yourself how others see you. I see myself as very tall, very athletic, very handsome, very <laughs> smart, and no one 
sees me that way. I know. A, abilities. You've been given a lot of abilities. Could you name three that you think God has given you to do ministry? Some people say, well, I think he's given me an ability with numbers. Okay. I think he's given me an ability with words. Okay. That's an ability. He didn't give the same abilities. I'll tell you what, engineers don't know how to spell. We were given gifts of numbers, not words. We don't really care. What if, so what if we misspelled it? So, you know what I mean. We're close enough. What counts is the numbers. You talk to a word person, they go, I, don't, I can't add two plus two together. Who cares? How you spell a word, whew, now that's what makes a difference. And using good grammar, that's what makes a difference. Yep, if you say so. <laughs> We're given different abilities. Why? Uh, we're going we're gonna to go over this again, so you're going to see this again. There's a great analogy coming. Whoop, there it is. There's a great analogy coming in the body of Christ to the promised land. Did any tribe get the whole thing? No. How did they get assigned their territory? By lot, so God's sovereign choice. Did they get it all right when they moved in? No. He says, I'm not going to give it to you all at once. Otherwise, you'll get so spread out the animals, the wild animals will come in and kill you and wipe you out. So you're going to have to battle for it. You're going to come in, Judah, and you're going to have to battle to get this whole piece of land that I'm giving you. If he's given me the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to take me my whole entire life to battle to experience more of the fruit of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? What do these folks have to do to, um, to be successful? They have to work together. Gosh, it almost sounds like a body. <laughs> and we're given different gifts and abilities, etc., etc., and what do we have to do? Work together <laughs> as under one head. We have to work together, and you bring your gifts and abilities, and I bring mine, and we work together for the sake of the head, under the head's direction. Right? Okay. That should be blowing you away right now. You should be falling on your knees, crying and worshiping. <laughs> oh, goodness. If only I could communicate, make you see. Yeah, if only I were taller and more handsome and athletic, then, it, then you would listen. Some believe it. Okay, possess your inheritance. There's general gifts and then specific inheritance. Are you living it? Oh, oh, A, abilities. P, personality. Contrary to what some people have told you, everyone in here has a personality. You might think your personality is one thing, 
And this is one place where the self-reporting instrument works the least well. Because I know how I see myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have some of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's too. That's good. You know who I need to find out about my personality? Who do I need to ask? Laurie. Or my boys. People who know you the best and have seen you in a lot of different situations. I had one, one lady come up to me and just, <laughs> we were talking about we were talking about her personality and she she said something like um, my nickname for myself because this just describes me my nickname for myself is breezy this is one of the most competent detail oriented hard driving women I've ever met and I said I just started laughing I said breezy <laughs> I, I mean, if Breezy is here, <laughs> I think you're like here. You're, you're not Breezy. And she said, I am Breezy. <laughs> she's not Breezy. She is a, this extremely competent person, but she kind of had a, she just had a wrong <laughs> A wrong view of herself. And she's still processing. What do you mean I'm this? I'm like, you're am- you are amazing. But you're not breezy. <laughs> you, you get ten times more done than any person I know. That is not breezy. Breezy is, woo, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> so that, is, <laughs> that is not you. So self-reporting instruments on personality are notoriously wrong. So you take it anyway, and you use it to start a conversation with people who know you well. And you say, this is what it says of me. What do you think? <laughs> and get ready. If, if they feel like they have real permission to talk to you, uh, you may learn some things about yourself. Didn't say that would be fun, (laughs) Uh, but it will be instructive. And then where do you sense the, oh, E, experiences. We all have uh, two or three or four, maybe five, experiences in our life that have really shaped us, the formational experiences, some negative, some positive. Everybody's got a a few Many times those places are the places where your ministry is going to spring out of. You say, well, that's a bold statement. I didn't make it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this. Where is it? Yeah, that's what I thought. I can't find it. Anyway, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can find it. That's your homework. You can find it. Paul says, basically, you're going to minister to others with the comfort with which you first have received. If you have had um, 
some marvelous, unbelievable experience in your life than others who have similar experiences. They'll find a great camaraderie and, and listening ear to you. If you've had horrible, bad, and awful experiences and somebody else has had those, same thing. You may find that in these three, four, five key experiences is the place of your ministry. Just something for you to think about. You have a general inheritance and you have a specific inheritance. Back to the big idea for tonight. Are you leaving behind you men and women who can be counted on to pursue God's purpose in their generation? Children, grandchildren, uh, neighbors, uh, friends, uh, co-workers, Men and women who can be counted on to pursue God's purpose in their generation. Some of you are of the age, not because I'm in it, I'm in it. Uh, uh, We are in the age where we think we have nothing to offer and no one would want to hear from us anyway. The 20-somethings, this is different than the, the generation right before them. These things kind of go in, they skip generations. So my sons will have more in common with my parents than with me. And the other generation will have more in common, one generation removed. See what I mean? I know, draw yourself a picture. It's like a pendulum. It skips a generation. There's values that can align, and they want input. We are having 20-somethings meet with mm, 50-somethings just in their homes. Remember the little video Cody showed uh, maybe a month ago? The woman who was um, mentoring some of the college students? And how was she doing that? I'm going to the grocery store. Want to go with? Sure. They want to talk to you. You think, well, (laughs) my kids didn't want to hear from me. (laughs) They want to hear from you. There are opportunities these days for those of us who have reached a certain age to go into the 20s, and they want to know. Would you consider starting a small group with some folks who are... (laughs) younger than you. They're different. But here's your opportunity for second-generation people. Are you leaving behind you men and women who are aware of and eager to possess their spiritual inheritance? Are you leaving behind you leaders who will follow in your footsteps? Are you leaving behind you men and women who will approach each day as a new day for worship and fellowship? Are you leaving behind you men and women who will make wise commitments with their mouths, their bodies, and their paths? You can begin tomorrow. Pray for someone, same gender, to disciple. Time, make it a priority in your schedule. Truth, use the Word of God. Transparency, share your life with them. 
transformation. God will bring about life change in His way and on His timetable as you just do life together. Cody's sermon couldn't have been better for this point. They may ask you for silver or gold. What you say is, I don't have that. Here's what I have. Here's what I have. I have 40 to 50 years spent walking with Jesus. Whoa, tell me about that. Tell me about that. What do you want to know? Everything. They don't even know where to begin. You have to help them. That's what you have to offer them. They don't have that yet. Does every 20-something want to be led like this, discipled like this? No. Do, are there many? There are many. There are many. God will bring it about. Just do life together with them. If you like pancakes, go to Old South every Tuesday morning. I have pancakes. If you don't like pancakes, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> go to the brand muffin store or something and have coffee and a brand muffin with them. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Go have a fruit cup. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Don't stop short. Possess your inheritance and begin praying for a second generation that you can leave behind you as you continue to grow and mature. Help the second generation come along. For next time, which is next week, read Deuteronomy. Start tonight. Yeah, don't let any moss grow because it's, uh, it's a long book and we're going to do it in one night. So buckle your seatbelts. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. You continue to show us examples. You encourage us. You are so unbelievably merciful and gracious to us. Your word says you're compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness toward us. Thank you. We love you. Uh, like James and John, like Moses, would you bring some second-generation people into our lives if we don't have them? Even if it's just one, one person, uh, we will share what we have learned about walking with you with them. Uh, help us to do that, please. We pray that you do that. I pray that you would do that for each of my brothers and sisters out here and even those who are watching us and listening um, online. Uh, would you do that for all of us, please? We want to do it, and we need your help. And so would you help us, please? And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in a week.